Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Another 1-0 win gave England big gains, but it wasn't all plain sailing for the Lionesses against the Danes. South Africa were cruising at 2-0 and keeping it tight, but didn't bargain for a huge comeback from the blue and white. And China overcame Haiti with a pen despite playing much of the game with 10. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have a man who stays up very late and isn't afraid to do so. Graham Rothman, hello! Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, even when I'm not required to do so, somehow I end up watching like the first 20 minutes of Argentina, South Africa, as I did last night. I had no reason to do that. Joe's wow. going to cover the majority of that game today. Why did I do that? I did it anyway. Hang I on. can't be stopped. What time was that local time for Graham Ruffin? Like half one in oh, the morning. Graham. Graham. <laughs> Can't keep this up, man. <laughs> My body clock just does not allow me to sleep before like half between one and two in the morning. It's yeah, it's, it's a disease. Fair dues. Talking about being awake at the wrong times, a man we've made come on the mic very early in his Pacific time day, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello. I am here. I am stoked. I am irrationally irritated about Argentina's defensive structure. Let's have a good time, <laughs> fellas. All right, we are keyed up for uh, some energy today. I can feel it in the room. Uh, before we get to the games, some big news reported on Sky News today. Gianni Infantino, who is FIFA president, by the way, he has left the Women's World Cup after less than a week to go to Tahiti. He attended every single game of the Men's World Cup last December. He's seen 12 of the 32 teams live so far. Graham, today I feel Polynesian, I guess is the <laughs> logic here. So has he just gone on a holiday? Like, is there a reason he's gone to, he- to, so to Tahiti? There's Instagram photos of him. I'm not sure if it's a vacation, but he's like playing soccer with what looks like contemporaries. So make that right. make it that what you will. I mean, are we sure he's not just not at the Polynesian Resort in Orlando at Disney World? That could be where he's at. That's quite possible. That's quite which, possible. Guys, which teams do we think... Infantino either definitely has seen or definitely has not seen. Like, is there, is there some teams that it's like, of course he's hit, and some teams that's like, not, I'm going to pass on that. I, I, don't, I haven't seen him much on the broadcast, to be no, honest. Neither you remember, no, same. In, De- in December, it was always like, don't, don't get me when I'm on my phone cameras, because he was on his phone for most of every game. Um, but it, the camera has not been panning to Infantino in his suit and white sneakers, I believe, at uh, any point. Graham, have you seen him? It's because he's had his, his hood up with the weather, of course, in uh. New Zealand and Australia, not being able to, like a Seth Lord that he is. You know? <laughs> I get that reference now. Thank you very nice. much. Uh, nice. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> well, I, I presume Infantino will come back for at least the final, but, you know, maybe he's got another pickup game in another Polynesian island somewhere to uh, attend to. So we will Priorities. see. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Let's go, gentlemen, to Sydney, shall we? For England 1, Denmark 0. Lauren James in her first ever World Cup start. Got an incredible goal early doors in this game. Uh, The bad news for England, Kira Walsh picking up an injury, clearly saying on the broadcast, you didn't need to be a lip reader, I've done my knee, which is not what you want to hear from any soccer player live during a game or any other time, Graham, but um, a mixed bag for England, I would call this. Yeah, so this was a strange match because from an England point of view, there were things in this performance that were very encouraging and that worked well. 
And then other things that were like what we saw in the match against Haiti, in particular the second half. As, as you mentioned, Ryan, the main headline, um, from my perspective anyway, out of this game from England yeah. is the Kira Walsh injury. It's difficult not to be fatalist when considering the impact of that injury on England. Of course, this is a team that has suffered a number of injuries to key players. But at least with Leah Williamson and, and Beth Mead in particular, there are other options who can come in. Kira Walsh might be irreplaceable in this team. What she does at the base of the England midfield, I can't see anyone who does that to the same level or even close to the same level as Kira Walsh. She's one of the best players in her position, plays for Barcelona. I would put her in the category with Lena Oberdorf in, in, in that role. And Laura Coombs comes on as a substitute for England in this game, but it was Georgia Stanway who dropped in as, as the anchor. And of course, Georgia Stanway is an excellent player, but then by dropping Georgia Stanway into the, 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 the anchor position, you lose her drive going forward. So it's not just Kira Walsh that you lose. You lose a bit of what makes Georgia Stanway special as well. And it is a bit of a catastrophe for England. I wouldn't say in general this match was a, a catastrophe on the whole. Um, Serena Wigman made changes for this match. And that shouldn't have been surprising given how poorly England played against Haiti, but she is renowned for sticking with the same team. So it was notable to see changes for this match. Rachel Daly started, but it was at left back that she came in. Lauren James, as you mentioned there, Ryan, she comes in, starts this match, which we mentioned might happen given how she played off the bench against Haiti. Alex Greenwood moved into central defence alongside Millie Bright. And the early signs where that the changes were very effective. And in, in the first 20 minutes of this match, I thought England were excellent. It was complete dominance in that period, particularly in the opening five minutes before they scored the opening goal. I'm not even sure Denmark touched the ball before England had the ball in, in, in the net after six minutes. It was that dominant. There was real intensity to their play in and out of possession. It was sharp in terms of execution. It also seemed like there was a mental sharpness. The decision-making was good. And then things just kind of tailed off a little bit after that. I don't know whether the the Kira Walsh injury impacted maybe the mentality of some of the the England players. Of course, um, you never want to see one of your teammates, certainly one as important as Kira Walsh, go off with a, a serious injury like that. So I don't know if England were shaken by that, not just in a football sense, but in a psychological sense as well. And then by the time we got to the second half, we saw a number of the things that made the performance against Haiti so concerning for England. Yeah, I, I, to, to dig in on that, Graham, I agree. Like the first 20, 25 minutes, I was like, hot dog. This is a great performance. This is going to be, you know, we are back, baby. <laughs> Ryan to himself watching this game, hot dog. I'm very <laughs> yeah. into that concept. I said it out loud, Joe, in the room on my own. I, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> as you say, lots of intensity, lots of purpose, lots of, you know, direct stuff. And then, but it, it was before the Walsh injury that things seemed to just like, Shoulder, maybe shoulders dropped a bit. It's like, uh, I don't know. I can't figure out what the catalyst was for that. Joe, any ideas? Yeah, so I'll be honest. I don't think there was ever a moment where England were totally dominant in this game. I think there were almost exclusively moments where they were in control of this game. Graham, you mentioned Denmark not really touching the ball in the early stages, and that's spot on. I do think they had a touch and maybe multiple, but there was one in the fifth minute. And I only know that because I wrote down that England's counterpress was awesome in the fifth minute. And so they were coming in to sort of just snuff these attacks out before they could get any further. And England are incredible at that. And Kira Walsh, to her credit, has been a major part of England's ability to control the game in every phase. The challenge for England, like it is for a lot of teams that play against you know lower defensive blocks in Denmark, despite having more high-level players than Haiti, 
they were sitting deep and they were trying to block off midfield and they were trying to deny any obvious chances, obviously, for, for England in this match. But England didn't create a ton of really clear-cut moments. Like, the, the Lauren James goal is a wonder strike from outside the box. And, and it is a fantastic goal, but it's maybe not a super repeatable one. And then another chance that comes later inside the first 20, 25 minutes, it's a, it's a bronze ball into the box, cross on the right side, that Lauren James also crashes on and, and can't quite put in the back of the net, but it's another moment of danger. Like There were these little chances, but I don't see for England right now any super repeatable, obvious attacking opportunities that they're creating. And so I think it's almost this false sense as we watch these games of, okay, they scored a goal and it was awesome. Maybe we'll get more of that. And then when the, the goals don't come, because the chances maybe were never really there in the first place, you start to feel worse and worse about the result. I, I think I get what you're saying, Joe, that you're right. They weren't it wasn't like they were they were whiffing on huge opportunities, but I think I disagree on repeatable actions from England. I mean, the way that they the key to the game plan early and early on was the use of the fullbacks. They were extremely high. So you had Rachel Daly on the left, Lucy Bronze on the right, and they were pinning the Danish fullbacks back. So even when the ball was turned over, they couldn't get out. There was a massive gap between Harder and, and as the number nine, and the rest of the team in Denmark were going long, which I don't think is what they wanted to do. So yes, it was a low defensive block from Denmark, but England were kind of enforcing that in a sense on on, on Denmark in the way that they were pinning back the fullbacks. And in terms of the attacking structure. There was lots to like, particularly in the left side between Rachel Daly and Lauren James, where, as I say, the, the fullbacks were very high. So you had Rachel Daly going high and Lauren James cutting inside where she is so dangerous, as we saw for the opening goal. And yes, it is a, a wonder strike. I don't know how many times you're pulling that off. But those were the the half spaces that England were activating in this game that we didn't see really at any point in the, in the Haiti match, where I mentioned it was Lauren Hemp on the left side and it was Chloe Kelly on the right, and their job in that match was basically just to stay wide and pepper the box with crosses. I didn't feel like there was that predictability. When we're talking about the opening 20 minutes from England, which, as I say, I thought was really, really impressive from England in that moment. I agree, Ryan, that even before the, the, the Kira Walsh injury, things started to fray, so there was, I'm trying to look through my notes here, the moment that I, no I noticed was around the 25th minute when Rachel Daly misplaces a pass... And I think it's Thompson on the on the kind of right side of the in, inside the box for Denmark. She puts a really good opportunity um, from inside the box just wide. And England, for my money, had played really well up in, until that moment. But it highlighted the space that there was between the midfield and the defence that, that Denmark with the right, right execution could exploit. And it happened again when Lucy Bronze turned the ball over high up. And then Harder had a, a shot saved after getting into the into the box pretty easily and the English defensive structure was caught a little bit fragmented where Millie Bright had to come over to the right side and she didn't know whether to engage and there was a bit of confusion there. So those were the first signs. I think it then accelerated with Walsh going off and the longer the match went on, the looser that England got. They were taking too many touches of the ball. Everything was taking a little bit too long. So when I contrast the way that England started this match in my eyes and how they finished it, it's kind of difficult to get a read on England at the moment. I have no idea mm. whether this team is, is executing its game plan. I think what's interesting, Graham, is a lot of the narrative has been about the spine of this team not being quite there since, uh, you know, a different team to the Euros team, uh, Williamson, Mead, and, and now Walsh out as well. Whereas in this game, I thought more of the issue was what you were talking about there, uh, the fullbacks. Um, you've got Rachel Daly playing as left back, very much not her starting position generally as a striker, of course, but she's a very competent left-back. But you've got two attacking left-backs, uh, full-backs, excuse me. And against 
a sterner opposition who might be a bit more uh, in the offensive third, that's that the 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 integrity of the defence. I'm concerned about mm. it in getting in behind them basically because they are they're more athletic players and it's, that's beneficial to have on the field, but. Uh, there's opportunities to get caught out here in, in yeah. on the width, I think. And, and all of these concerns, Ryan, are magn- are justified, first of all. They're also magnified by Kira Walsh's injury. Yeah. I think there's, there is going to be a lot made of this, and it will be justifiable between now and, and the end of England's tournament run, whenever that is, whether that's in the final, whether that's in the round of 16. We're going to see a lot of discussion about this because of how important she is in every single phase. Like the injury, I'm not going to break down the, the mechanics of like what happens to her knee, but in the 35th minute, which is when she's injured, it is a moment when Kira Walsh is tracking back, scanning the play around her defensively, trying to cover Muller, who's playing as kind of the number 10 for Denmark in this game, like trying to block off the passing angle into, into her. And she does so. Like, like she goes down, she blocks the initial pass into the number 10 and then like hurts her knee in the process and basically can't get up to win the second ball and, and doesn't maybe have the structure around her. Even if it's not the perfect defensive intervention from her, I think it's a good one to break up that play. It, it illustrates the fact that Kira Walsh brings something for you in every phase of the game, right? Her ability to orchestrate attacks is what gets talked about a lot. And understandably so. Like, there's a reason why Denmark basically marked her out of the game or tried desperately to do so. They're in this 4-4-1-1 defensive shape in their own half for most of the first half, at least. Denmark... And, and they've got Pernille Harder up top as the number nine, kind of, you know, shifting back and forth between center backs. And then they have Catherine Muller deeper downfield, just following Walsh wherever she goes. And so the idea from Denmark is if we can take Walsh out of the game, kind of like Haiti tried to do with their same midfield alignment, then we're going to have some joy. And, and they end up conceding a wonder strike, and that, that really, really sucks if you're Denmark in this moment. But it's, it's not just how you have to game plan for her when you're defending. You have to game plan for her as you're attacking as well. And with fullbacks, of course, in this England team that like to get forward, Daly may be a little bit wider, Bronze may be a little bit narrower, other players in slightly different ways. With, with these players that want to go forward and attack, Walsh could be this security blanket when you counterpress so that there wasn't a lot of space for the opposition to attack. Now, without her, it's not like England suddenly will forget how to counterpress and will forget how to defend. But I think it's inarguable that they're now missing yet another key player for this team. And, and maybe, like you said, Graham, maybe the most important player. Joe, can I draw a silver lining on the situation, though? Please. As you mentioned, this isn't the first team who've tried to mark Walsh out of a game. And let's say if it's Stanway in that position, could there be an argument that such a uh, ma- uh, person marking is not going to be happening yeah, to, yes. to the person in that holding role, which might be an adv- advantage for a Stanway or someone who is in that role because there won't well, be as much focus on them. Is that, I love have that. I just pulled a positive from this? Have I done I, it? I think you have. I think you have. I'm not <laughs> entirely sure how meaningful that will be in the grand scheme of things, but I think that even like happened in this game. In, in stretch, stretches of the second half, Stanway's back is that single pivot in front of the center backs. And, and she's not being marked in the same way. Like Kira Walsh hmm. goes out the field and Denmark are thinking, okay, well, that's obviously not great for her, and we're not wishing that on anybody, but in some ways, our defensive approach just got a lot simpler, and we can kind of just play a slightly more zonal kind of approach. So maybe Georgia Stanway will will be the perfect option in that spot. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that she's as well suited to it. Certainly more forward-thinking, doesn't have quite as much yeah. positional discipline. You know, still, I don't really think England have a better option at the moment. It is, it's going to be difficult, Ryan, but I do like your silver lining. <laughs> Kira Walsh is a 360 degrees player right and uh, Georgia Stanway I, I just don't think is doesn't have the same sort of skill set so 
I am a massive Georgia Stanway fan. I just think it's going to be really difficult for her in in that role. This this is for me the biggest um, in terms of players and personnel and personnel and individuals. This is the biggest challenge that Serena Vigman has faced as England manager. As as I mentioned at the at the top of the show, England have a number of injuries, but. When Leah Williamson comes out, you know, Alex Greenwood, you can move her into central defence. When Beth Mead comes out, you've got Chloe Kelly, you've got Lauren Helm, you've got Lauren James. There's just not a direct replacement for Kira Walsh. So I do kind of fear, maybe fear is not the, the right word given my uh, my allegiance on this matter, but I do kind of fear <laughs> that this is a bit of a turning point for England and a pivotal moment in this tournament for them. I think it's the opposite of fear, fear Graham, if we're honest, right? <laughs> well, see, I don't want to be callous. You know, I don't, I, I don't relish someone getting a bad, serious injury, but That's I take your point. Enough. All right, well, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, a little more on this game, and we need to talk about Argentina's draw with South Africa and China's win over Haiti. I'm not going to stop saying it that way. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. A uh, little bit more on the England game, Graham. Uh, Lauren James, who is referred to in some circles apparently as England's cheat code. I like that. Very technical player. Very obviously very powerful. A bit hard to read as we saw with the goal. 
And I've seen criticisms that she's a bit, a bit Hollywood. We'll take the take the um, the Hollywood shot and, and the long ball occasionally, but worked out in this instance. Yeah, just, I would say <laughs> just as well for England in this match. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way that Lauren James has been playing for 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 Chelsea this season in the WSL, a lot of people were surprised that she didn't start the Haiti match. As we mentioned, after that match came off the bench, was very impressive. And I just think she gives, I spoke about this a little bit earlier on, but she just gives England a little bit more presence in the half space, the ability to to, to to turn as she did in the moment for the goal where she takes the ball off daily, turns, gets the shot away. She is at her best in those areas, whereas with, with Hemp and Kelly, it was a little bit more one-dimensional di- one against Haiti. And of course, those players give Wiegmann another option that might, that might work in other matches. But I think she's pretty much nailed down, as long as she's fit. Of course, she's pretty much nailed down a starting spot in this England team after after this performance. It wasn't just in the in the goal. I did think there was just a little bit more poise to her play than we've seen from some of the wide attackers um, at other times in this tournament for England, where she is able to control a ball on the edge of the box and bounce a couple of passes off a teammate and create a bit of space for herself. And we we haven't seen that from others. So yes, I think she's one of the first names on the team sheet now after this. I would agree. I don't think you can go away from Lauren James in the starting lineup, at least for the next game. I like so much of what she brings, like her mixture of quick, close control and and quick, close touches, really, with speed and explosiveness and technical ability and understanding of space. At at 21, she is a very, very talented winger. I, I do think there's a sense where... Uh, and this this goes for maybe more of England players, not just Lauren James. I still think some of her end product is not all the way there. Like, again, just 21 years old, I think there's still lots of time for, for her to grow. But some of the first touches that she has in this game, it's the second minute, she collects the ball, and it doesn't feel like things are quite under control, and the cross goes out of bounds. Like, I, I respect the initiative to go and try to take something to Denmark early on, and ultimately, I would rather have that, even if the execution isn't quite there, than the other way around. But... I do think it's worth watching Lauren James. Like she, she won't score a banger from outside the box every game. Although I hope, I hope she does. Just not in the final against the U.S. Same. Right? <laughs> I hope we, I hope we see that happen. But realistically, it, it won't. And so then the question becomes: Well, how can she add value in other ways? And I think the vision, and I think all of the the real intent is there. I just think maybe some of the execution isn't quite one hundred percent there yet. But she is a special talent and was, on the whole, fantastic in this game. Yeah, and this is where I'm a little bit confused about this England performance because if you go through the three changes that Wiegmann made for this match, I think you could argue that all three were a success. We've talked about Rachel Daly and, and, and her influence as one of the fullbacks. We've talked about Lauren James as well now, but I thought one of the biggest successes of this match for England was the balance that Greenwood gave them as the left-sided centre-back. Jess Carter played that role against Haiti. I don't think she did badly but I just think Greenwood is a much better distributor of the ball and having her as the first um whatever you want to call it progressor in possession made it easier easier for England to move through the thirds and when things were going well for England in that opening 20-25 minutes I felt like Greenwood was a very influential figure for them in in those moments she only gave the ball away twice in the first half and then the other thing that she gave England was the ability to switch the play a lot more often and and more quickly so it's not just in a defensive sense Greenwood and Bright have played together 
uh, before, so maybe there's a bit more chemistry with those two than there is between Carter and Bright. But in possession, I think she makes England a more rounded uh, team. So that's that's slightly confusing because this performance was a bit muddled from England, but those changes, I think, were an improvement on what we saw in the first match. Yeah, definitely. So I think she, uh, I think she made a last-ditch tackle that saved our butts at one point as well, did Greenwood as well. So a good performance definitely there uh, from her. Uh, Joe, you mentioned you hope that Lauren James doesn't score against the US in the final. Um, this team's going out to Germany in the quarters. This is how the story ends, I think, for this team, frankly. I, 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 maybe I'm being too negative, but I just feel like with with this Walsh injury, it's the latest thing. You know, lots of the Euro, Euro stars not being there for injury or retirement reasons. Yeah. Without those players, I think I think it's really tough to 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 see a deep run happening with this team. Am I being too negative? Do we think, Joe? No, man, you are swinging from silver lining to whatever the opposite of silver linings are. They're really <laughs> hard. Wreck. I'm getting worried about you, Ryan. I, I don't think that's unfair. Like the, the number of injuries that England had sustained coming into this tournament and some of their blips along the way after the Euros was already a concern. And now for them to be losing, again, like a, a pivotal player in every sense of the word, right? The position and the role for this team is is brutal. And that matchup, like, you know, as you progress further in this tournament, England are, are potentially going to run up against some very, very good teams. Germany is obviously on the list of possible contenders for the, some of those games. I, I think, Ryan, I'll say this. I think you feel much, much worse today as an England fan than you did yesterday. And even with the win, that sucks. And I am kind of sorry about that. Oh, I thought you were going to say something good. It didn't no. go good in the end. <laughs> I got nothing for you. Come back around. <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Joe. Uh, Graham, can we say anything more about the Danish in this one? Obviously found a way back in during the second half, but perhaps yeah. to a great extent because of the uh, the pressure they could put on without Kira Walsh there. Yeah, I wouldn't say that Denmark were outstanding or even any, any of their players were outstanding, but I thought Harder was, was always a, a threat and the way that she was getting between the fullbacks and the centre-backs was giving England trouble. I mentioned that moment in the first half where... Um, Millie Bright isn't too comfortable with being passed on to Harder from Lucy Bronze when she turns the ball over high up the pitch and we saw a couple moments from Harder and she does have mobility to kind of um, get into both channels and, and, and give Denmark that outlet so she was relatively effective the way that Denmark sent runners from midfield into the space in front of the England defence was also effective and then also um, Vansgaard coming on in the second half I thought gave them aerial presence gave them a different dimension something that they hadn't really had until that moment against Millie Bright who obviously that's a big part of Millie Bright's game so having someone that could go directly up against her was beneficial for Denmark in that phase of the match where they were a little bit higher and could get more bodies forward and that almost made the difference when she hit the the post with a header not not far from the end of the game that could have been one all for Denmark that could have been a point so it's kind of a similar story for this Denmark team where they have talent we see glimpses of it. We see periods of what they're capable of, but they haven't been able to produce a 90-minute performance. Obviously going to be difficult for them against a team of England's calibre mm. here. But I, I still think, despite all the flaws in England's performance and Denmark hitting the post, maybe England just about edged it on the whole. And if you were to pick a team out of these two, maybe they were, were the deserved winner. Okay, I think that's completely fair. Another uh, Danish sub I enjoy, by the way, Graham, coming on late, Sana Trollsgaard, who plays for Reading. Trollsgaard, that's the coolest handle at this tournament. I'm sorry. That's, that's just <laughs> that, is cool. that is excellent. That is excellent. Priscilla Chinchilla would like a word, but it's good. Touche, <laughs> touche. All right, they're in They're in the final, those two. Um, I think the other thing I was going to say about is Alessia Russo, who obviously isn't scoring from open play lately. Uh, that's a concern of mine. I'd like to see Rachel Daly get a run up top. 
Uh, I don't know, don't know, Graham, if that's at the expense of the fullback situation, though. Can I can I just express a theory that I'm kind of working on with England, and this is this is half baked, and it's a it's a it's a little intangible, right? So, so Joe, just kind. just shut up, Joe, just shut up for a moment. <laughs> no, I'm right? being totally serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, so England have played a lot of matches recently at home over the last eighteen months, right? They've played the Euros at home. You think about those the, the match against the USA last year, which was meant to be I know it was only friendly, but it was meant to be like a, a yardstick for England. That's at a sold out Wembley. They play the finalissima against Brazil at a sold-out Wembley. All their friendlies are at home. They haven't played a lot of matches away from home over the last 18 months. And I just wonder if a home atmosphere kind of helps them keep the tempo high. And are they adjusting to maybe not having that home atmosphere? I, I, I don't know. It was something that just crossed my mind watching this match in the second half where things got a little bit flat. And normally you would have 90,000 fans at Wembley to maybe pick them up again. And they obviously don't have that in Australia and New Zealand. So. Yeah. Home is where the heart is, Graham. But uh, uh, to to counter that, I'd say the US women play home friendlies every five minutes for years, and they seem to be okay on foreign territory. Well, so far, are, are we saying they've been okay? I mean, we're a bit okay, mixed on opinions there, right? I'll historically, say. okay, yeah. I get what you're saying. Maybe, yeah, but they've just been better in the past, you know? True, true, very true. All right, so Group D uh, has England at the top with six points, Denmark and China on three, Haiti are on zero. No one has qualified from this group, and everyone can still qualify. It's wide open, Haiti. It's there for the taking. Uh, we shall see how this one pans out. All, all four group games, by the way, Joe, have been one nils, uh, one of which are mere VSP today yeah yeah you did i honestly the first thing i thought of when i saw the scoreline because i woke up and watched this game it had already finished i thought like ryan was spot on this game was was pretty likely to be cagey and not a ton of really obvious attacking action and you nailed it ryan you Mm. deserve credit for that yeah see when england scored so early and they were playing as well as they were in the first 20 minutes i thought ryan's (laughs) not gonna get his vsp uh but he did. So, I thought, yeah. don't mind about VSP at this point, but yeah, it uh, it panned out. I'm just going to make a note. Joe thought about me first thing when he woke up this morning. Good. Okay, basically true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to Argentina 2, South Africa 2, shall we? A stunning comeback from 2-0 down for Argentina. South Africa's first World Cup point here. Uh, both teams getting their first point of this tournament. Graham, a very entertaining game, was it not? Um, I think Joe might have more thoughts on this uh, no, one. I'm given just that talking I... about the first 10 minutes you saw at 1.30 last right, night. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was relatively entertaining, but it felt like the <laughs> chaos came in the second half when, uh, I mean, the, the thing that caught my eye most from this match was the crazy defensive line by Argentina for the, the first South Africa goal. It was so fragmented that I think it was um, Moyorga, who was the, the Argentinian defender. She was like a full five yards at least behind the rest of her teammates. Then she does this giant jump step up to try and play the offside. And that doesn't work. So, so, so South Africa essentially end up walking the ball into the back of the net. I think that might have been one of the first things, uh, the last things, excuse me, I saw before uh, I fell asleep. But Joe, I believe, watched this full match live. Fell asleep I, I, with like a pale ale and a bag of cookies <laughs> on your chest, right? Munchies, I think and is skittles, what Grant told me skittles it was. everywhere. <laughs> I, I, so I've been campaigning uh, for a while, sort of that there are a number of different teams at this World Cup that need a new coach. And I, I've been in that camp for the US for quite some time. I've been in that camp for some other nations. I would now like to bump Argentina towards the top of that list, if not to the top of that list. Grim, you mentioned that defensive line. Obviously, it is not Portanova, who's out there on the field, like making it so shambolic. But you watch this team play, 
And this is the second match we've seen from Argentina so far this competition. They play Italy in the first game. They lose that game 1-0. Look bad, you know, kind of look as expected. Taylor previewed them as this relatively uninspiring team. And we come out and see that that's basically what they are. Now, in this game, I could not believe, genuinely, I could not believe how bad Argentina's defending was. I don't love coming in on a game like this. It had some fun goals and like some, some great moments, some crazy chaos and leading with something like that. But that was easily the biggest part of this game up until Argentina found their way back in. Like, are, you mentioned the defensive line on the first goal. It is it is shambolic. There's no doubt about that. Matalo scores. It's a nice finish. They're wise South Africa to play through even the suspected offside that was very much not offside, despite that being the feeling on the field. VAR fixed that, and we got the announcement, and everything was great. Like Argentina's line there was was really poor. I don't I don't know if you guys noticed. There's this gigantic gap in Argentina's defensive shape all throughout this game. Like like the way that they approached was. So naive. They had maybe like 45, even 50 yards at times between their front line and their back line. Usually from like a competent defensive shape, you might get 30 or maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on the moment. But Argentina gave up like 15 or 20 extra yards in the heart of their defensive shape over and over again in this game. South Africa could just camp out in those gigantic gaps. And they had a ton of success. Like even the second goal, it's more obvious for the first goal because of the defensive line. But the second South Africa goal, Fembi Katlana scores 66th minute. It's a great moment. South Africa go up 2-0. I thought they had it in the bag at this point. It's a good poacher's finish from Katlana. Argentina's defense is stretched and bad over and over again. It's it's Jermaine Sopasenwe who receives the ball between the lines, between Argentina's lines, which, let's be honest, was not a great feat in this game. She then drives forward, loses the ball, wins it back, then plays the ball across the field for the finish from Katlana. It was like taking candy from a baby for South Africa in this game. They had so much early success exploiting that space between the lines. Now, they they were let down a bit by different finishes in some of those moments, but I could not believe how poor Argentina were, and it is still a little shocking to me that they got back into this game, I guess, Credit for them for that. Or maybe South Africa should be taking a long look at themselves in the mirror. I, I, this this game was like a fever dream. I know this is something that maybe only I care about on the defensive side, but I, I'm desperate to know if anyone else in the world noticed this and if they were as surprised as I was. Well, I think a big factor in Argentina getting back into this game was an absolute ripper from Sophie Braun to get them back to 2-1, which is one of the mm. goals of the tournament. You know how, um, was it yesterday or two days ago? I can't remember. What, what, I don't even know what day it is today, actually. But it was the Spain game, right? Abelera with the strike into the top corner. We spoke yep. about how it was like an arrow. This was the complete opposite where it was a big dipper. It looked. And there's something aesthetically pleasing about that as well. So I very much enjoyed this goal. Yeah, that was excellent. Sophia Braun, by the way, born and raised in Beaverton, Oregon, home of Nike um, has apparently only visited Argentina a handful of times. So there you go. A US board scoring a great goal today, Graham. That's what <laughs> yes. we're taking from that. Yeah. It does feel like there's quite a lot of US born players at this tournament, like half the Philippines mm. team and Sophia Braun. Yeah, US is well represented at I this think tournament. The Philippines, yeah, very a lot of US influence there. I think I saw that their starting 11 in the last game was entirely not born in the philippines which must be a world cup first it's I'm it's not- california united is basically what the yeah. philippines is for folks that that haven't uh read up on any more of that or haven't heard more henry bushnell for yahoo wrote a great piece about the philippines as sort of america's second team henry is is awesome and does yeah. great stuff like constantly he's at the world cup right now so go go check that out grim you're right to point out that wonder strike from Braun, and it was a wonder strike as a pivotal moment in this game argentina had had maybe like half chance here and a half chance there 
South Africa, though, had been the better team for the first 70-ish minutes of this game, even if they weren't completely dominant either. But Brian's goal gives them a little bit of life, and if that ball doesn't find the back of the net, I don't think there's any chance that are walking out of this game with any any sort of result. But then it's another goal five minutes later from Nunes. It's uh, it's Romina Nunes in the 79th minute. Argentina are in possession, which didn't happen you know, a ton in dangerous areas in this game. They worked the, wall, the ball wide to Rodriguez, who's become a, a nice little controversial figure at this World Cup. And then it's a headed ball from, from Nunes, who would just come on at halftime, and, and they score. And it's poor marking, ultimately, from South Africa. It felt to me, in a game with two teams that don't really want the ball and, and didn't really want to dictate the game, it felt to me like this was a game that was going to be defined by mistakes. And Argentina's systemic approach was a mistake from the jump. South Africa exploited them multiple times for that. And then South Africa's individual mistake, ultimately, not so much for the first goal, but very much for the second goal, of not being able to find and put a body on runners in the box, essentially doomed them in this game to the point where, at this point, guys, it seems very unlikely. It's not impossible, but it seems unlikely to me that either either of these teams will make it out of this group. Yeah, that seems to be the way the wind is blowing, Joe. But for a game where, as you say, neither of the teams wanted the ball... I guess we should be thankful we got four goals out of it, right? Absolutely. And a, and a comeback. So that's, 100%. That's a, another silver lining for today. There we are. Uh, Joe, any any more on this game before we uh, jump on? Um, I'll never hit a ball as clean in my life as Braun hit it in that moment in the 74th minute. And that's something that I personally have to reckon with every day until I die. Other than that, I'm good. Yeah, that's that must be very satisfying. I could never do anything like that. Uh, Graham, when you called Kira Walsh like a 360-degree player earlier, I thought I must be like a 25-degree player in that, in that spectrum. <laughs> yeah, just like a, a tiny little slither. That's what you can control. Whatever I can play with my right foot looking forward. That's, that's sort of where I am. <laughs> yes, indeed. So Group G, uh, Sweden, Italy on top with uh, three points. Uh, Argentina and South Africa, as we've established, have one point. We've got Sweden taking on Italy tomorrow. And Argentina have Sweden next, Joe. Tall order for them, as you say, to get through now. Yeah, Yeah. Argentina. I'm just so angry. I'm just so angry at Argentina. (laughs) Give Give this team a coach. Give them some sort of competent strategy. The talent is absolutely there. I won't stand for believing that it's not. This team is is just bad. And uh, yeah, they're just bad. It's sad. (laughs) On that positive note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about China's match with Haiti. Sorry, China's match with Haiti and some more VSPs back shortly. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to China. I'm going to stop doing it now. China won (laughs) Haiti. First goal that's been scored for either of these sides in this tournament came from the penalty spot. Uh, China playing with 10 players for more than an hour in this one lots of late penalty drama lots of penalty drama in general graham in this one uh quite penalty claim heavy yeah so there there were a lot of notable refereeing decisions in this match as you mentioned ryan the the red cards which i think was a clear decision a very high oh. tackle into the knee of of uh, shirley judy by who is it zheng Rui, that's right i think is that yep the, the chinese player who's sent off then you have the China penalty, which they score from, that was also a clear one, I thought. So that was an obvious foul on Zhang Luin, the, 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 the fullback. Then things get a little bit murky from that point. So the referee gave Haiti a penalty for a Chinese defender putting her arms around Ella Swant, but VAR overturns it. 
Um, it was one of those penalties where if you give it, it seems like there wasn't enough evidence to then overturn it, if that makes any sense. There were, the, the Chinese defenders' arms were around the, the player's kind of waist, um, so you could certainly make a case that it was a penalty, but it is overturned. Then there is a pretty shocking non-call and stoppage time when uh, Zhang Jing seems to clearly go through the back of Melchie Dumornay. And I think the referee clearly gets that one wrong, and I I don't understand why that wasn't given. So, yes, certainly lots of refereeing drama in this match. Thankfully, this match did heat up quite a bit in the second half. Until then, I thought it was a really low-quality affair, particularly on the Chinese side of things. Haiti didn't offer much either, but I had I had sympathy for why that was the case, because Melchie de Mornay started on the bench. She um, ha- picked up a knock, apparently. She does come on, off the bench for the second half and makes an impact. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, she's just so important to the way that Haiti conducts attacks. So... Not not having her there just kind of ripped the heart out, out, out of them. But looking at China, they had so much of the ball early on and in the first half, they just did so little with it. Though that was through a combination of moving the ball really, really slowly and tentatively, but then also turning the ball over far too often. There were times when a Chinese player would essentially face up a Haitian player and just play the ball straight to them. That kept on happening and, and it prevented China from building any sort of sustained pressure, even though, as I say, they were having the ball they just weren't set up to to create the matches through uh, create chances through possession then there's the red card i don't know if that had a massive impact on the dynamic of the match um, it did leave China with just one in attack a lot of the time, which certainly didn't help them play into the final third, but they were already having trouble doing that. I actually thought the thing that changed the dynamic of the match was Dumournay coming on at halftime and then also uh, Wang Shang coming on for China. I have no idea why she's not starting matches. While Dumournay seems to be carrying a bit of a knock at the moment, that doesn't seem to be the case for Wang Shang. I read a report that said she joined up later with the group for this World Cup. She was released later by Racing Louisville. But she is China's most a, 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 a talented attacking player. And she made a big impact for them when she came off the bench. So it's just baffling to me that she's not starting games for them at the moment. Quickly, to, to continue the Dumornay hype machine that I think all of us are sort of on board. I mean, the world is on board with Melchie Dumornay at this point. There's no doubt about that. So I don't really know who I'm trying to convert here. But to your point about her changing the game in the second half, zero shots for Haiti in the first half, seven shots for Haiti in the second half. Melchie Dumornay comes on at halftime, gets some of those shots herself. She is, she's just a generational talent. And this Haiti team are, are really, really worse off when she's not on the field with them. I was stoked when I saw that she's coming on for the second half and thinking, okay, Haiti, I mean, I think, I think maybe I previewed them as the neutrals favorite when, when we did these previews a couple of weeks ago now. I'm pulling for Haiti to go out and, and make some things happen in this competition. And the fact that they couldn't get a result here just really, really sucks. Yeah, there's just so much rotation in that that Haitian front line when... I mean, there's rotation even when she's not involved. So in the first half, I was no- noticing how Mondesir was starting on the left, but then she'd be in the middle, and then Louis would be through the middle after starting on the right, and Borgella would be on the left after starting up front. So it's all very fluid. There's a lot to like there. But those players just don't have the same level of execution as Melchie Dumournay, and that lets down the Haitian attack a lot of the time. You add Dumournay into that mix, and you have that same level level of fluid, fluidity, but a player who can carry the ball you know, 30 yards up the pitch at, at, at will, 
and do something with it in the attacking third as well. It's just a complete game changer for ha- for Haiti. And while they there were a couple opportunities for Haiti in the first half, there was one chance in particular where Borgella clearly has the the beating of the Chinese defence for speed, and Haiti play this uh, pass into a channel that's completely open and she gets into the opposition half and into the box. That happened once in the first half. Then Dumernay comes on and those opportunities are coming like every five to ten minutes. She just completely changes the dynamic of that whole team. She's just a special, special talent. And it's a shame that I know Haiti are still in this tournament, but it kind of looks like they're going to fall at the group stage hurdle. And that is a shame that we're only going to see three games of Dumernay at this tournament. Well, well Graham, if they, they got Denmark in their final game, and if they win that, they could potentially take Denmark's place in the knockout stages if uh, China don't get a result against England. So Right, I was going to ask about the other... So if England beat China and, and Haiti beat Denmark, Haiti are through. Is I that think- correct? Uh, they need a couple of goals because they've got negative one goal difference at the moment, have Haiti. Right. Still seems difficult, but yeah, not impossible. Not impossible. Certainly, when you've got Melchior Dumarnay, I don't know how fit she actually is. She looked, to my eye anyway, she looked fit enough in the second half. I'm surprised that she didn't start, given the impact that she had on the game. Um, so maybe she is brought off the bench in that Denmark game as well. But I hope she gets the start and we see her do some more Dumarnay stuff in that match. Yes, indeed. Joe, any more on this game, or should we head to our very specific predictions? V S P V S P. Let's do it. Oh, before we do it, actually, let's give our thoughts to uh, Linda Casado and family. The Columbia striker uh, was caught on video clutching her chest and collapsing during training on Thursday. Uh, the 18-year-old was diagnosed with cancer three years ago. Uh, obviously scored in the tournament against Korea on Tuesday, uh, was taken to hospital. So all the best to her and the camp there. We hope everything is okay there. Uh, one final thing to do as we just uh, trailed there, VSPs. Next up on Saturday, we've got Sweden versus Italy. Big one in France versus Brazil and Panama versus Jamaica. That was a rock and roll reference there for you, Joe. You're welcome. I got it, actually. I don't know who oh, sings that song, but I do know that song. Absolutely. Rock rock and roll Joe is what old people do, by the way. That's that's what they like. Mm, thank you. Indeed, is that yes. is that a Van Halen song, Ryan? Yes! Well done! Oh, my God! God. I, 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 I thought to myself, is it worth the risk of being wrong and being ridiculed like I was for Independence Day the other day? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a goldfish. I'm going to try it. Um, I'm proud of myself. Joe, you are. I'm holding my hand to the ceiling. You are up here in my estimations. You just went even higher. I'm stretching wow. now. Well done. Wow. Well done. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Very good indeed. Joe, why don't you give us your VSP? All right. My VSP for this next set of games, I think we've all gone the same direction because there's one game that is very clearly yeah. the highlight. It is mm. France-Brazil. I am so excited for this game. I'm really looking forward to watching. I, I won't actually be on the show to talk about it, but you guys can bet I will be watching for fun nonetheless. My prediction is that Brazil will have one of those, and I wrote it in italics in, in the doc, attacking sequences like I think everybody when I say that kind of knows what I'm talking about we saw it for was that the third goal I don't remember what which goal it was it was the second one the third one I don't it doesn't matter against Panama the goal you're talking about the the goal goal, yes that's all I need again that's in verbal italics there and thanks Ryan for for the fact check I I, as as down as I am relative to where everyone else in the world is on Brazil after that game against Panama because I think Panama are probably the worst team in this competition and Brazil I thought were vulnerable in, in certain ways and just weren't punished they are still ridiculously talented in the attack and the profiles of those players, Dabinha and, and Borges and Caroline and all, all of these talented players make them just so ready to string together like four or five quick passes at a time, break through somebody and rely on their individual skill to really create under Pia. 
And so I am, I'm expecting one of those attacking sequences. It might not be a goal, but we'll see it and think like, oh, that is, that is good football. Like it'll be one of those moments that makes an, an American person like call it football for some reason and become Bob Bradley for like three seconds. Joe, I don't know what I'm looking forward to more, seeing that sequence or the Discord adjudication panel deciding <laughs> if that sequence happened. <laughs> I am planning on hiring Graham as my <laughs> lobbyer inside the Discord. So I'm feeling really good about my chances. Very good. Graham, what, which, uh, which direction have you gone in? So I've also gone to the France-Brazil game, as Joe says, the standout match from tomorrow's slate. Could be one of the games of the tournament so far. Really looking forward to it. My VSP is Wendy Renard is going to score from a set piece. So a little bit easier to uh, to define than Joe's, I guess. Uh, if there's a goal from a set piece and Wendy Renard scores it, then I get a point. Brazil are quite weak in an aerial sense. I mentioned that in my preview. So even though we didn't really see that in the Panama game, because as Joe mentioned, Panama didn't really impose himself in any way. I have enough evidence from before this tournament to, to suggest that is a vulnerability of theirs. And I don't know if anyone has noticed, Wendy Renard is the height of the, of the Eiffel Tower. Mm. So I think that's going to be a problem for Brazil. She's very effective from set pieces. I think she will score one of them in this game. Are you going header specific or just keeping it broad? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to um, I'm gonna multiply my chances of getting a point here by not saying it'll be specifically a Ooh. header. It might be a chest or a knee or something like that. But yeah, I, I think a header is a pretty good bet from Wendy Renard. Crowd were booing, Graham. Did everyone hear that? I heard that. I, I heard um, that everybody yeah, was booing. They were just yeah. booing you. <laughs> they were saying boo for me. Uh, France versus Brazil is the game I've gone with as well. I've gone for another goal-related metric because that did so well for me yesterday. Both teams are going to score in this game, and I think there's going to be at least three goals. I'm thinking like a 2-1 or a 3-1 or a 3-2, maybe even a 3-2 situation. Uh, Brazil, as we know, looking very good in this tournament with that big win over Panama to kick off with. They've had 10 goals in their last three games. They know they advance with a win. I believe they do, if I've done my math correctly. I think they're the form pick in this game, if not the favourites. I think France are actually the favourite in this game. Um, so only... In only five games this tournament, if my once again, if my math is correct, both teams have scored, which I don't think is very high. But in five of the last times, these five of the last six times these two teams have met, they both scored. So I think they've got a bit of history in form with that. France might not be in form. Well, obviously, they didn't score in their opening game, but I don't think they're going two games without finding it. Yeah. Wendy, uh, Wendy Renard, as we've established, is going to head in uh, a set piece, for example. So I'm hoping, this is a hopeful VSP, because I'm hoping this is going to be a goal-tastic thriller, like a 3-2 or something. Everything okay. about this game is, is is so interesting because, of course, you've got two very talented teams with excellent individuals. You have two countries that are heavyweights of international football. But then also you have two countries coming at this match from, from different places in this tournament where Brazil looked very impressive against Panama, but we don't really know if they're going to come down the mountain a little bit from that point against a stronger opponent and then you have France who started very, very poorly and were underwhelming in their match and were kind of guessing and projecting forward whether they're going to come up the mountain a little bit from that point so uh, uh, yeah as we've covered very interesting match looking forward to it yes indeed we can await and we will be back of course on this feed to discuss that well more specifically I believe myself and Mr. Taylor Rockwell if you've missed him today good news he is back with us tomorrow on the show but for now Graham Ruthven thank you so much for doing words on this audio medium <laughs> thank you Ryan Bailey Joe Lowry same to you sir thank you for uh, getting up very early pacific time once again to uh, join us on this endeavour you got it Ryan Hey, and thank you, listener, most of all for joining us. We'll be back, as I say, tomorrow. But for now, bye! Ah.